Hey y'all, welcome to Rooted, the podcast that explores the ins and outs of modern agriculture and advocates for our rural lifestyle. Hey guys, welcome back to Rooted. Today I have a very special guest, Mr. Andy Holt from the Department of Agriculture. Hey, good to be with you today. So tell me a little bit about how you got started in agriculture. So I have a little bit of a different kind of uh, path into agriculture. Uh, surprisingly enough to a lot of people, I actually was not born on a farm or even to a farm family and actually grew up in a really poor part of South Knoxville. And as a child, um, had real, really no connection to agriculture until I was in the third grade. And uh, in the third grade, I was a struggling reader and I had a teacher who um, really wouldn't let me go out to recess because she knew that I needed to learn how to read. And so in that process, um, she had some pretty basic books that she and I would read over. And through that uh, experience, um, I gained an appreciation for agriculture. So hopefully um, anybody who's listening to this, who thinks that you know it's th those books and the material that we supply to children are not important, they're very important. Uh, for me, in third grade, I had a pretty difficult day. I can't remember all the circumstances, but basically I told um, my teacher that I wasn't coming back the next day. And she said, okay, great. So what are you going to do? She said, I know your dad's a plumber and you don't want to be a plumber. What do you want to do? And I said, you know, I think I want to be a farmer. And so as a completely non-agricultural child in third grade, I made that decision. And Ms. Parker told me, you could be whatever you want, but you do have to learn how to read. And really from that point forward, from third grade on, I really kind of constructed my life with a focus on agriculture. And that really kicked into high gear in high school with 4-H and with FFA. And actually between my junior and senior year of high school, actually right after I attended Boy State, um, I loaded up on a plane and I went to North Central Wyoming and I worked as a, uh, as a ranch hand um, in Wyoming for a summer. And that really kind of galvanized my plans to pursue agriculture, uh, both personally and professionally. And when I came back to Tennessee, what turned out to end up being almost a three year stay in Wyoming, I came back and attended the University of Tennessee at Knoxville and pursued a degree in ag economics and business with a minor in animal science. And kind of the rest is history. So you mentioned you were um, a part of FFA. Did you say 4-H too? Correct. Mm -hmm. what, what chapter were you part of? So I went to South Doyle High School, which was in Knox County. And at that time, our FFA chapter was not really active. Um, we had a great uh, instructor. Uh, our advisor was Max Sanders. And he taught me the, the very basic information that I know about greenhousing. And we had some, uh, you know, some other um, other activities that we took part in. But um, a lot of my real emphasis and early leadership development took place in 4-H, mm -hmm. uh, but I, and I, I really credit 4-H to having given me a lot of opportunity. Again, as a, as a kid who didn't come from an agricultural background, 4-H gave me that opportunity to, to kind of uh, get involved at a very early, early age with public speaking mostly. Mm -hmm. And then from there, uh, you know, I started with the Chick Chain project and then transferred pretty quickly after that to uh, show and sheet. So, uh, 4-H and, and both FFA were, were very, very instrumental in, in my youth. And actually another uh, 
ag program that we don't hear as much about is the National Grange actually as well. If you're familiar with the Grange, it's, it's another kind of uh, farm-based um, federated type uh, organization. And I was also uh, a member of the, of the Grange in Knox County and ended up serving as a national youth representative for the Grange as well. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Fun stuff. I've actually did the chick chain when I was in fourth grade. And then the only other livestock I've ever handled was the sheep that we had out here this past summer. So same situation. Um, so after you graduated high school, you said you got a degree in agriculture economics from Knoxville. Correct. What did you do after that? So after um, I got finished with, with high school, uh, and again, I, I took a stint where I lived in, in north central Wyoming for, for a good bit of time. And uh, one particular day, I had gotten, uh, gotten my paycheck from the ranch, and we were paid monthly. And uh, deducted from my paycheck was my room and board and also the very poor food that they that they charged us for and i had also purchased a rifle that month that the ranch owner had purchased for me and so that had also been deducted from my check so when i was looking at a month's worth of pay and there was less than three hundred dollars that was still at the end of that i thought you know what probably need to do something with your life where you uh, actually have the opportunity to make something of yourself and so it was at that point that i did a return back to knoxville and uh, started school at UT Knoxville and got that degree in, in ag economics and business. And I will put a plug in for uh, that particular area of study. It's been really good for me. And uh, ag economics and business is a very versatile agricultural degree um, and, and has led me into a couple of different opportunities that some I never expected. Uh, but after college, uh, my wife, well, we weren't married my soon-to-be wife and I moved to Northwest Tennessee where we still live today. Mm -hmm. So uh, my now wife at that point, uh, fiance, was from Dresden and she went to work for Tosh Farms, which is the state's largest uh, integrated pork producer uh, in Northwest Tennessee stationed out of Henry County. And uh, I actually got a job with Farm Credit Services. So uh, we went back one weekend, she got a job with Tosh, I got a job with Farm Credit and uh, we were on track to be married. And the only problem that I had with that is that I was failing managerial accounting. And I was really concerned that I had job lined up, had a wedding lined up, all this. I just had to pass managerial accounting somehow or another. The Lord blessed me and I was able to pass that. So, uh, but she started her career with Tosh Farms and I started my career with Farm Credit Services in Mid-America. Mm -hmm. And I worked with them for quite some time. Yeah. And then uh, at, soon after we were married, we actually started raising hogs for Tosh. And so we raised, uh, we were, we raised uh, fair to finish uh, hogs for Tosh for 13 years actually. And uh, I'm also a big advocate for uh, vertical integration. So I don't know another way that a young couple like us who was really starting at the ground level was, were not privileged to have a lot of uh, capital at that time, did not have a family operation, either me or Ellie to go back to. Uh, but that was a great start for us in agriculture and yeah. uh, very, very happy that we have that opportunity afforded to us. My mom works for Farm Credit. I don't know if that's just an interesting fact. She works over there across across the street from my dad in Dixon. Um, but anyway, I, I know that you worked, you were a state representative for about 10 years. Is that right? That's correct. And, and there's, a, there's a long story getting around to how that, how that started. And I'll, I'll just suffice it to say that uh, my relationship with uh, Tennessee Farm Bureau has always been 
very strong and very close. And, and really while Ellie and I were in college um, at UT Knoxville, we started involving ourselves in the Young Farmers and Ranchers program uh, that is available. And that's, that's really focused on folks in Farm Bureau between the ages of 18 and 35. And of course, you know, most oftentimes that starts around the college age. And so I involved myself in the uh, discussion meet. And so that discussion meet really opened my eyes at a pretty early age uh, to realizing that policy development and, and government in general really have a whole lot of impact on what we do in agriculture. And I was attracted to that to some degree, um, mostly at that point because it was a contest and you could win cash prizes. And so that, that was really the early attraction for wife and R to me. And, uh, you know, from the time that I was in college, I competed for four years in the discussion meet. And then once I got out of college and went into the workforce and started working at Farm Credit, and then soon after that started raising uh, hogs uh, for Tosh um, and was also, you know, involved in our beef operation and was also involved in, you know, other types of agricultural ventures, I started to sense that there was a need for me to become involved in the policy relative to Tennessee agriculture. I won't go into the details, but in essence, I had um, a couple of opportunities to engage with, with our local representation um, at the state level and uh, was left wanting. I, I was not really given uh, the opportunity to express my views. I didn't feel like they were being taken seriously. And, uh, and, and at some point that reached the, reached the level where I decided that if I wanted my views on agriculture and on other topics to really take flight and to, to come to fruition, I was gonna have to fill that role myself. And so I did at the age of 28, I decided that it, it was time for me to run for state representative. Um, I had already been elected as a county commissioner and had served in that capacity for a short period of time and would definitely encourage people to, even young people, to consider where can I utilize the leadership skills that, that I have been taught and given. Um, and that goes for, you know, 4-H and FFA and other youth development organizations. There comes a point where we have to recognize that we're not teaching leadership for nothing. We're not teaching it into a vacuum. We're teaching it with the intention that you put it into practice. And I felt that call at the age of 28 and, uh, and I was elected as a state representative. Um, and I'll be honest, no one was more surprised than me that night. Uh, I had beat an incumbent that had been in office for 16 years. And there was very, very few folks who believed that I would actually uh, win that election. To be honest, I didn't either. Uh, but it, it worked out and I did. And then I served for 10 years in the Tennessee General Assembly as a representative for District 76. That's very awesome. So since you've had that, that policy knowledge and the governmental knowledge on specifically agriculture, what do you see as the most important issue that we're facing today? So if we say the most important issue that we're facing, if you, if you, bring that down to let's just talk about Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the impact that we are feeling right now. So, you know, with success, with the, the type of financial opportunity that, that we are experiencing here in the state of Tennessee, um, that is a, that is a great thing. That, that's a blessing in itself. But B, there does tend to be some complication associated with that type of of uh, financial success that we are experiencing as a state. 
and really uh, what I see in for you and, and for me over the next 10 years is that Tennessee's landscape is changing. And this is something that I think that's important for us to go ahead and recognize. And, and we should ask ourselves, well, you know, why is it changing? Well, it's changing because we have such an attractive state to so many people right now. Um, arguably, we are the first or second most moved to state in the nation right now. And so what that means is that we're seeing a migration of folks uh, from all across the United States. And in many cases, those folks are coming to the state of Tennessee with large amounts of capital. And so what they're doing is they're purchasing, you know, could be small lots of land, but it could be could be large tracts of land as well. We're not just seeing this in, you know, in Davidson County or in Shelby County or in Knox County where we're really seeing this. And I can give a lot of anecdotal evidence of the fact we're seeing this in some of the most distressed and at risk counties in the state of Tennessee, because there is this migration of folks who want to get away from other states and, and other policies that they feel like have been restrictive to them and the lifestyle that they want to live. And so as a result, what we see is we see a migration of folks from California into a place like, say, some that I've seen firsthand, Hancock County. So one of the one of the literally poorest state, poorest counties in the state of Tennessee. And we see this attraction of folks and you say, why would they want to move there? Uh, and Hancock County is a beautiful place. Obviously, I'm not not negating that. But you just think that seems to be a, a, a an unlikely place. But people are drawn to what we have created here in Tennessee, and that is a place where we have um, agricultural richness, we have uh, you know geographic diversity, we have four seasons, we have lots of beauty, we have a wonderful tax situation that those people can benefit from. And so over the next 10 years, we're gonna continue to see this migration of folks from some of the more urban states to Tennessee. And they're reaching out for economic opportunities and they're reaching out for freedom, the ability for them to accumulate what they think is a higher degree of freedom. And that is going to change the land use in the state of Tennessee. And so what we see is that there is, uh, and currently we are, unfortunately, it's an unfortunate statistic, we're the third worst state in the nation in the conversion of high value farm and forest land into non-agriculture and non-forestry use. And so in essence, what that means is that we are seeing and experiencing urbanization at a higher degree than other states are. And we're also seeing the fragmentation of larger farms into smaller farms and also into non-farm use. So I don't think that comes as a surprise to anybody that, that we're in this situation, but I think what is a goal for me? So as an assistant commissioner for business development, my goal every day is to ensure that Tennessee farmers and foresters get to keep more of their own money, that we provide more opportunity for them to expand their business or create a new business, uh, ways for them to market their goods in a more efficient and effective way, open up international marketing opportunities. All that to say, we are in the fight of our lives in agriculture to maintain the significance of agriculture and forestry in the state of Tennessee. Because we are running the risk that Tennessee's largest industry is agriculture and forestry. When combined, it's the largest industry in the state of Tennessee. And we do think of ag and forestry as, as like an inseparable set of siblings. They, they go together. Um, and in essence, 
since our founding in 1796 until now, agriculture and commerce, the two words that are written on our state seal have always been the bedrocks of our economy. There is some concern, um, and this isn't grave concern, but there is concern. If we wanna keep agriculture as the number one industry in the state of Tennessee, how can we maintain profitability in agriculture and forestry land? Because if we cannot achieve profitability, it'll be much easier for a family to sell off that farm. It'll be much easier for a wooded area to be converted into a non-forestry use. And so we think that the best way for us to preserve agriculture and forestry property in the state of Tennessee is to make sure that it is profitable and that agriculture continues for the next into the foreseeable future to be a profitable operation and a profitable industry in the state of Tennessee. That was a very long answer. I apologize. No, it's okay. That, that was a lot of, yeah, that was a lot of good information. Yeah. So, you know, apart from land conversion, uh, there, there are other issues, uh, you know, and some of those really are policy related <clears throat> here in Tennessee. We, we live in a really wonderful area as it relates to not only agriculture. And I think we've talked about that to some degree, but forestry. So there may be a fact that is a bit interesting. Most people don't know this, but 53% of the land mass in Tennessee is actually covered in forestry material. And so in essence, you know, we're over half forested in the state of Tennessee. We're actually producing far more wood fiber than we're taking out of the woods each year in the, state, in the state of Tennessee. And so that lends itself to a lot of opportunity. So I don't know how familiar you or your listeners may be with the renewable fuel standards that um, that are passed down by the Environmental Protection Agency, by EPA. But in essence, right now, we are seeing that we have this abundance of wood fiber really in three significant wood baskets in the state of Tennessee. But our struggle is how do we utilize those resources in a way that falls within the policy framework that has been, you know, initiated by EPA that can be a benefit to the operators here in the state of Tennessee who want to convert that biomass into potentially um, sustainable aviation fuel or to renewable diesel. Um, at this point, the forestry and civil cultural methods that we use in Tennessee don't really fall under the RFS standards. And so we're in the process of petitioning the EPA to allow our silvicultural practices in Tennessee to fall within those RFS standards. And so that's, that's another kind of inside baseball, something that's a bit of a concern for us at the Department of Agriculture and a project that we're continuing to work on. Very, thank you for that. Is there anything that is being done, like actively being done, like any laws, legislator being passed to protect farmland right now that you know of? So we find ourselves as Tennesseans in this really um, almost unbelievably, almost too good to be true situation. So when we look at, uh, you know, legislation specifically geared toward benefiting farmers and foresters in Tennessee, we're kind of at the cutting edge in, in comparison to all other states, really, and other nations in how we incentivize agricultural producers and forestry producers without necessarily subsidizing those folks. So we're creating such an, a wonderful opportunity for them to, to grow and to transport and to market and to further add value to the crops and the livestock and the forestry materials that we produce in the state of Tennessee that it would we'd probably be hard pressed to find a piece of legislation to say, this is gonna make it easier to farm or to you know have a forestry operation in Tennessee. But what we do have and what we have seen recently is, uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with them, 
with this with this new policy development. But in essence, there's been a whole new round of incentives for um, ag taxes. So we have actually continued to go down the path of, of making sales tax and use tax for agriculture um, less and less of a burden for producers. And so this is a piece of legislation that actually I sponsored in 2020, or excuse me, yeah, 2020, when I was still in the legislature, but that was right as COVID was, was starting to come upon us. And so there wasn't the, uh, the resolve or the desire to pass that piece of legislation, but thankfully it was passed a year or two later. I think it was passed in 2022 and is now coming into implementation um, in 2023. So if folks are not familiar uh, with those changes that have taken place, uh, they can go to some resources that we supply within the Department of Agriculture and also Department of Revenue and learn some more about that. And um, if they currently qualify for the ag, ag exemption, um, then they will be contacted, I think, toward the end of this year to renew um, that uh, that ag tax exemption mm -hmm. uh, for farmers and, and nurserymen. So uh, that that is a great policy change that's moving in the right direction. Um, from a from a federal standpoint, something that has been really a, a benefit to us in, in in agriculture in the state of Tennessee is that we have experienced the opportunity to receive literally hundreds of millions of dollars from the federal government and those have been uh, given to governor lee uh, the governor here in the state of tennessee and then from that point governor lee and his administration have doled out um, a portion of these monies to the different departments and the tennessee department of agriculture has now received in essence two allocations of federal money so the first round was the cares act money which was the first wave of covid relief and the Department of Agriculture actually received $55 million that was passed on to Tennessee farmers and foresters. Um, only $43 million of that was actually able to be allocated. Um, but the second wave of CARES Act money, uh, which was coined under the American Rescue Plan Act, um, we actually received $100 million uh, at the Department of Agriculture from Governor Lee from those funds. 50 million of that went directly to the University of Tennessee Institute of Agriculture, and then $50 million has come to us at the department. And we're in the process of right on the edge of rolling out a brand new cost share opportunity uh, for uh, Tennessee farmers and foresters that will start on March the 1st. So I'm kind of delivering breaking news here on your, on your, uh, on your podcast. But this would be an opportunity for Tennessee farmers and foresters to qualify on a project where the cost share amount would be up to a million dollars from us at a 50% uh, cost share for all the counties in Tennessee that would not be classified as at risk or distressed and up to a million dollars and up to a 75% cost share uh, on any project that would have a primary impact or would be located in a distressed or at risk county. So this is the kind of uh, opportunity that we have in Tennessee that not a lot of other states do. We have a governor that loves agriculture and a commissioner that loves and is committed to agriculture. And through their allocation of these funding resources, we're going to be able to put a real sizable amount of money and invest that into Tennessee farms and forests. And we're really excited about that. At yeah. The department. Yeah. That's amazing. I also think kind of it's a agriculture education thing i think a lot of people don't see the importance of having farmland or the importance of the agriculture industry in general and that's kind of what i realized when i came into high school and started getting involved in ffa is that you know 
these kids that are that are sitting, even the ones sitting in the, the ag classroom, at least at the beginning of the year, they have no idea what agriculture is or why they're taking the class. Um, and I was fortunate enough here at McEwen, we used to have all freshmen had to take an agri-science class their freshman year. And so that really helped that everybody came out, everybody who came out of McEwen High School at least had background knowledge of what agriculture was and why it was important. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, even if they're not getting involved in FFA and they're not competing in competitions, they're not an officer, they still, even if they don't take another class the rest of high school, they still have that knowledge that they had their freshman year. And um, I think later on, it kind of starts to sink in. And when they're trying to make decisions, um, maybe they'll start to support agriculture more. And I, but I think other high schools or other places that don't do that and their their programs are kind of small, it's, it's unfortunate because kids are going out of high school and going, going out of college not seeing the importance of it. And so I think that's why we're, we're losing support for that. Well, I think that's something that you bring up a really good point. Another big concern for us in agriculture is, is the literal workforce that we need to support agriculture. And and I really wish I could, to some degree, kind of get a hold of some students and just say, listen, you know, agriculture is sometimes it's depending on what the job is. It's not just sows and cows and mm -hmm. plows. You know, I mean, it, yeah. it is it's marketing. It is. Uh, professional technology. It is the adoption of AI and robotics. It is, it's anything you want it to be. It's sales and marketing. It's whatever, but it can also be some of the parts of agriculture that I love the most. And that is smelling silage uh, early in the morning while I'm feeding cows. You know, that's literally one of my favorite smells in the entire world. Uh, being around, you know, a sow that's having pigs, mm -hmm. that's part of agriculture, but that's not the only part of agriculture that is available. This is everything from the operation and the, uh, you know, the, the supply of machinery. If that's something that's of interest to you, it's, uh, it's plants, it's animals, it's technology, it's research, it's, you know, doctoral studies. It's agriculture is so broad and it's so diverse. I, I wish I could get across to every student that whether you really think that you are interested in agriculture or not, agriculture has an interest in you. Whatever skill you've got, we can put to use in agriculture. And I'm, I applaud the school system for mm -hmm. giving that basic exposure because you know, all of us are throughout life or at some point we're going to need an attorney or we're going to need a doctor or we're going to need a whatever else. But every day, three times a day, at least and a couple of snacks in between, we need a farmer. And uh, so I think that connection to our food is something that's really important and unfortunately is missing in a lot of education institutions at this point. We're not connecting and we're not humanizing agriculture and making it a viable option for careers for a lot of students. And, and I, I hope that we can continue to change yeah. that. Yeah, that's that's one thing that FFA taught me is that it's not just farming, even though I grew up around it. Like I said, my, my dad's an ag teacher, and um, but I didn't get in. I didn't get involved. I didn't know anything about agriculture. I did not want to know anything about agriculture until I took Mr. Ross my freshman year. And then I, I realized that it's so it's so diverse and I can I can find something that I really like and I can just run with it. And so I found public speaking. I really like communicating with people. Um, but I also like working with livestock and working with the greenhouse. I'm kind of interested in all of it. But there's some kids who who like to do forestry. Um, my friend, she's really into forestry. Her dad's on a forest owns a forestry business. And there there's just so much there's so much to, to do in agriculture. And I think a lot of kids in our program realize that now. 
Well, and you're doing a great job of getting the word out on the radio too. So thank, thank you. you very much for that. Thank you. Um, and so what are you, what do you do right now? Um, and you said you're over the, the business development part of the Department of Agriculture. Yeah. So let me give you just a real basic overview. For, so the Department of Agriculture obviously is, is a department within the state government. The leader of the Department of Agriculture is Commissioner Charlie Hatcher, who is a dairyman actually from Williamson County. And so commissioners are appointed solely by the governor. So the governor is Bill Lee, and uh, he has appointed Commissioner Hatcher as the commissioner over Department of Agriculture. And so the Department of Agriculture is comprised of five different divisions. And so those five divisions are administration and grants. And so that is kind of the where our legal and where our public affairs, where Commissioner Hatcher and the deputy commissioner, um, Jeff Aiken, um, our policy development, that kind of all fits in that, that thing. So administration and grants. Then we also have the division of animal health. And so Samantha Beatty, Dr. Samantha Beatty is our state veterinarian. And so she deals with pretty much anything animal related in the state, specific to livestock, but she also has jurisdiction over, um, you know, um, companion animals as well. Mm -hmm. And that's something we've had a lot of issues over the last several months relative to high path uh, AI, so avian influenza. So that has kept Dr. Beatty and her staff very, very busy. Um, the third division, we would have the division of forestry. And so uh, commission's assistant commissioner, David Arnold is the state forester. So the same way of the state veterinarian, we have the state forester and, uh, and, and our state forester, David Arnold is wonderful. And they pretty much take care of that 53% or they keep tabs on that 53% of the forestry uh, assets that we have across the state. A lot of things that they do are respond to wildfires and to mitigate pests that may uh, have a presence in those, uh, in those areas. Um, and they do a lot of other things, tons of things. They help landowners, they help uh, lots of different folks with forestry related questions. Um, all right, so the fourth division is, is consumer and industry services, and that's kind of like the regulatory arm of uh, the Department of Agriculture. So they cover food and dairy. Uh, they also cover, oddly enough, we actually regulate fuel pumps in the state of Tennessee, weights and measures to make sure that when you buy a gallon of gas, you're actually receiving a gallon of gas. And when you buy a pound of something, whether that's over a truck scale that can, you know, measure 100,000 pounds or whether that's the grocery scale that you're, you know, weighing out your Brussels sprouts. Uh, the state of Tennessee requires that the Department of Agriculture regulate those scales each year. And so that's one of the other jobs. So again, we have administration and grants, we have animal health, we have forestry, we have consumer and industry services. Last but not least is the division that I manage. And so I'm the assistant commissioner over business development. And so within business development, I have kind of three separate different areas. And so one of those areas is a business consultant team. So we have eight business consultants that cover every facet of agriculture, everything from agritourism um, to uh, food manufacturing. We cover farmers markets. We do consulting on all kinds of different things. And so that team of business consultants is there to basically field calls from anybody who says, hey, I'm thinking about starting this business or I have this existing business and I'm thinking about adding this new product line or doing this new operation. And so we literally consult with those folks, meet with them, counsel with them. Um, another part of our 
of our division is also we have the Tennessee Ag Enhancement Program. And so that might be um, a program that you or others are familiar with. So Tennessee Ag Enhancement Program, often called the TAEP, um, is a program where we have on, you know, from year to year, 20 plus million dollars that we are offering as cost share assistance. Um, and so those are typically pretty small uh, individual farm type uh, grant opportunities. Then we also have the Ag Enterprise Fund, which is for larger operations and really those that have an impact on a large number of operations, not just a single, not just a single farm. Um, and there's some big changes coming to the Ag Enterprise Fund, uh, probably more than I need to get into at this time. Uh, but then we also have our market news and livestock graders. And so it's those three different divisions, the business consultants, TAEP, and then also market news and livestock grading. And so our market news and livestock grading uh, folks, they're out at the markets, uh, the sale barns across the state, and they're reporting so that folks can see what the prices of, of live cattle based on certain uh, characteristics, what the prices for those animals are. And we report that information to USDA, which goes in to help uh, predict, you know, what the markets are doing, where they're trending, how they're trending. And so those are the three areas really that I that I cover and manage. Um, and then there's a lot of other things that I that I get tasked with doing uh, because I just love agriculture and I want to I want to put the best foot forward that we can in representing Tennessee agriculture. And one of those uh, additional little projects is, is really expanding our role and presence as the Department of Agriculture at the State Fair. And the way that we're doing that is we're kind of we're kind of looking at adding four new areas. So we're going to have the Pick Tennessee Products Store. So Pick Tennessee Products is a state branded and kind of agricultural product awareness uh, program that we have. Um, and we're also going to have a demonstration area where we hope that we will get folks like you or others uh, to come in and do some cooking demonstrations and competitions, but then also show other types of demonstration um, of an agricultural nature that they would like to share with the public. Um, in addition to that, we want to also have a commodity, um, a professionally themed commodity view where we can show all across the state of Tennessee all the different commodities that are produced, kind of where they're produced and give some statistics about those. And the last thing that we want to do is we want to host a very, very nice farm to table dinner where we literally serve a plate of food, a very premium type dining experience where everything that you see on that plate came from or was raised in the state of Tennessee. And so that's another way that we can make that connection and humanize agriculture yeah. to the average person. That's amazing. I really, I really like those, those ideas. Um, and so what are you in the Department of Agriculture over business? Are you seeing any anything concerning right now? I know you mentioned farmland loss and businesses because of that, but is there anything else that kind of alarms you right now? So we kind of touched on it, but yeah. you know, the, the transition of land, as you mm -hmm. said, also the labor shortage that we mm -hmm. continue to see. Um, I do think that we also need to be mindful of the fact that macroeconomic and, and macro geopolitical uh, issues are taking place around us that we should be aware of. Um, you know, in agriculture, I don't think many of us ever lose sight of the fact that food is the most basic human need that we need day to day. But I do think that unfortunately, to some degree, the American consumer has lost sight of the fact that the United States produces the safest the most abundant and the most affordable food supply on earth and really throughout the history of earth. 
And so we oftentimes see that the consuming public takes the production of agriculture for granted. And, and I think that is something that we need to try to do all that we can to mitigate against. And, you know, so you might say, well, how do we do that? How do you, how do you keep somebody from taking agriculture for granted? And I think that is making them aware of the fact that when things like COVID happen and when uh, a Russian invasion of Ukraine happened, that they may actually see the mm -hmm. impact of those at their local grocery shelf. And so we need to make sure that those folks are aware that agriculture is the answer to those problems. It's, it's not the cause of those problems. And so I think, um, you know, awareness, uh, education, I think just advocacy uh, to say that, you know, we are a, a net producer of agricultural goods here in the United States. Not every nation can say that. Several nations are really focused on our production to make sure that they have enough food for their citizens to actually live. And so I think that is another issue is, is generally the apathy relative to agriculture and forestry. Um, we have folks that don't recognize the value that agriculture and forestry bring to their lives day to day, basically because they've grown accustomed to those, those fruits of our labor always being abundant, always being affordable, and always being safe. And, and that is something that we should be proud of, but it's something that unfortunately after people have not experienced a time where they've not had a stable food supplier, they've not had an affordable food supply or a safe food supply until they've experienced those things, they really can't value to the highest degree, the food system that, that is at their disposal each and every day. I think the other day I heard a statistic, it said one farmer can feed 150 people. And that really kind of put it in perspective for me how there's way more than 100, how much, you know how many other people are in there in there is in the United States. Billions of people are in the United States and we have to have so many farmers to, to provide all this food. And so when I see just statistics like that, it's like I already know it, but it kind of puts it into perspective that I have food in my pantry all the time. I have food in my fridge all the time. There's always food at the grocery store. And I think even us, you know, I've, I'm in FFA, I'm in agriculture, and I think I lose sight of that as well and take that for granted. And so, yeah, when you look at, you know, some of the most populous nations around the world. So you look at China, which is the most populous and India, which are the most populous. Um, you know, those nations, India doesn't depend on us as much, but China really does depend on us at this point for their food supply. Now they can get their food supply from, from other places, but they like the predictability that we provide. They like the safe uh, nature of the food that we supply, the abundance of the food that we supply. And so we as a nation, again, should be proud of the fact. And, and I think the founders of our nation recognized that we would be very, very richly blessed from an agricultural and a, from a forestry perspective. And so that those are things that we, again, sh we should be proud of. And we should mm -hmm. tout that, um, that instead of being dependent on another nation, yeah. uh, like we are for, for other things, we're, we are independent as it relates to food. And, and I, I do believe that food is one of the most basic um, ideas behind national security. Yeah. When, when you have a safe food supply and you can keep your people fed, then, then you are good. Uh, there's a, there's a, a, a famous quote out there, I believe it was Joseph Stalin who said that we're only three meals away from catastrophe. Yeah. And in essence, that is true. When people are hungry, when they don't have access to food, uh, that's an issue. And in Tennessee, not only are we as a nation, but we as a state 
are a net exporter of food. And, and we're doing a great job. We just want to maintain that. We want to maintain the profitability associated with that type of production here in the state so that we can, again, remain with agriculture and forestry as our, as our most preeminent uh, industry here in the state of Tennessee. I think we kind of see a little bit of that, like the quote you just said, you know, when we have things like the egg shortage that we're having right now. Um, when when the flu comes through and, and wipes um, the certain breeds of chickens that we use out, we no longer have any white eggs. And we as Americans have become really picky for our palate. We want white eggs. We want white bread. We want white flour. None of that naturally comes in that color, but we've, we've become so picky and so dependent on that, that when we have times like this where we can't get white eggs, um, when we, we have brown eggs in our backyard, but we, we, it turns into chaos. I mean, we smuggle white eggs across the Mexican border to get them because we've become so picky and reliant on that. And um, I don't know if other people think like this, they probably don't, but um, I think about, you know, these people don't ever think about the farmers and what agriculture does for them every day. And maybe situations like that puts it in perspective for them. I don't know, but. Well, we would hope that it does. And, you know, we as a state have tried to respond to those areas where we recognize and COVID really for, for all of the damage that it did to our nation, it, it did pull the veil back on a few things for us in agriculture. And that's the fact that, you know, uh, the, the highly intensive forms of production that we have for poultry and for swine and to some degree other species of animals is a great mechanism to feed lots of people at, again, uh, an abundance, uh, a low cost, uh, in a safe way. But from time to time, when you have things come through like COVID and people mm -hmm. can't show up to work uh, or when they're, you know, from a policy perspective, not allowed to be at work. Um, and what we see is that sometimes when those systems fail, they have an impact on a lot of folks. And what we recognized through COVID was that we really needed to put an emphasis on local meat production and local meat processing. And so as a result of COVID since that time until now, we've put a lot of meat processing, uh, smaller to medium sized meat processors. Uh, we've been able to give them some cost share funding. Um, still, that's an opportunity that will be a part of this uh, March 1 uh, letting of these federal monies. So, you know, we, we're trying to identify the issues and the problems that we have both from a global perspective and from a national perspective, you know, how can Tennessee serve to fill the gap that, that we see sometimes develop? Um, and, you know, there are other things on the horizon that, that we're not aware of. We don't have a crystal ball in front mm -hmm. of us, but I do feel like from, from an agriculture and forestry perspective, Tennessee is as strong right now as we've ever been, and we're as strong as any of the states uh, in, in the nation. So I feel like we're in a good spot. Mm -hmm. Not to say that we can't improve and we can't have, yeah. you know, better, um, you know, resiliency and, and better outcomes throughout time. But but we right now have, are very blessed. We have a commissioner that has done a very good job of, of managing agriculture and forestry. And we have a governor that is really emphasized and, and really given a lot of priority to not only agriculture and forestry, but also the folks who live in the areas where ag and forestry take place in rural areas across the state. And, and for that, I'm, I'm very thankful. Yeah, I have seen an increase in, in agriculture support from, from the government's perspective, um, maybe not on the, the federal level, but right here in Tennessee, farmers and agriculturists are very, very much protected and appreciated. And 
that's that's a very good thing to me and I'm I'm glad that they're they're receiving that that sort of support from from the government because that has an impact on society as well um, that they can see that it's that it's a priority. Agreed. So I think that's all the questions that I have for you. Good deal. Well, I appreciate the opportunity yeah. to come in with you today. Thank you. Very enjoyable. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so yeah. All right. Well, all thank right. you very much. You're have welcome. a great day.